0: Just a quick note before we get started, this episode contains some profanity, so if you have kids in the car, or if you yourself are offended by bad words, then you may want to go ahead and skip this episode or listen to it later. Otherwise, we really hope you enjoy this episode of The Minimalists Podcast. This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by, did we get
1: a sponsor yet? No, there's some emails out but I haven't heard anything. I no,
0: just kidding. This episode is 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed, oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Minimalists Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less, less stuff, less stress, less discontent, less anxiety, but a whole lot more meaning. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and we're the Minimalists. Indeed, and this is episode number four of the Minimalists podcast. And today, you know, we're going to talk about education and everything that that sort of involves, whether it's job or career or mission or passion or creativity. We're going to talk about that by answering some of your voicemail questions and social media questions. But first, uh this morning, Ryan, what did you do this morning? I had some delicious fresh ground coffee.
1: Yeah? Yeah, and uh yeah, it was it was a pretty rush rush to get here to do this.
0: <laughs> well, this I guess this in, in a weird way is our work and it's also an education for us. We're we're relatively new to the whole podcasting uh genre and um we are utterly ignorant to being able to do this, and we're grateful that so many uh, tens of thousands, I guess hundreds of, of thousands of people are now listening to this podcast, but it's a huge growth experience for us. We, we spent the last five years as the minimalists, and we've done a bunch of things that have really helped us grow, and we've educated ourselves in ways that are a bit non-traditional, and so we want to be able to share those with you and, and discuss those with you today, and um I guess we could begin with uh, today's voicemail questions. We have we have one. We can start with uh, Cecilia.
2: Is there a minimalist approach to getting a decent college education?
0: And here's
1: one from Brandy.
2: I really feel like college is starting to drain my soul, and I'm just not living the life that I think I should be. I would really love to become a tattoo artist. Now, that, that path seems so risky, though, since, you know, you have to go through the long process of finding an apprenticeship and building your technical technical skills and everything um well I think I would really be willing to put in the work it's just it's really scary to go off that quote-unquote you know safe path of being in college and then getting that high-paying job with that great degree that you earned my question to you guys is um how do I summon the courage to say you know what no I'm not going to do what society expects me to do and I'm going to pursue something that will actually add a lot of value to my life. And in, that, uh, in my case, it's uh, tattooing.
0: Thank you, Brandy. We have a, a similar question, uh, or I guess a related question, from Elise on Facebook. Ryan, you want to read that? Yes, Elise writes,
1: Why is it so easy to get caught up in the rat race vibe from friends? It almost feels
0: like you should settle for something you don't want. Wow, I've I've been there before. Yeah, amen. Me too. So... You know, I guess we should go ahead and, and talk about this. Let's start with with Cecilia. She basically just said, is there a minimalist approach to getting a, a decent education? And where I would start is you have to define what a decent education is. And yeah. we've written about this topic before on our website, and I'd love to, to read a, a little a bit of an excerpt from one of our essays. This is uh, from our book, Essential Essays, which uh, has 12 different themes on or 12 different approaches of how you can apply minimalism to your life. And one of the chapters in there is about passion and another uh, chapter in there is about success. So I'd like to send a copy of that book to Cecilia, also uh, to Brandy and Elise, so they can, have, they can arm themselves with some tools to help them through their process of deciding what's right for them. But this essay is called Unteachers. The more experienced we are, the more unlearning we have to do. We enter this world as creators, curious to discover ways to express ourselves visually, auditorily, kinesthetically. But over time, we are taught to be more realistic, to be safe, to be reasonable, to be normal. When in truth, we never wanted to be safe or reasonable Maybe we wanted to be normal, but today's normality template is far from what most of us had in mind at age five. Growing up, we all just wanted to be ourselves. That was normal. But soon we were placed in a classroom, told to stand in line and speak when spoken to, and prescribed ADHD medication if we got out of line. This methodically worked great for creating factory workers and farmers which seemed ideal when 90% of the population was either the former or the latter. Today, however, most people are neither factory workers nor farmers, and even those positions have changed radically in the past few decades. And yet, we're all graced with the assembly line mentality, systematically programmed for compliance, expected to adhere to external standards while disregarding whatever our own internal normal was. During this process, our creativity is quashed and replaced with a vast emptiness, a desire to create even though we're told that we're not creative. It's no coincidence that we started focusing more on consuming around the same time, looking for any material thing to fill the void. All children are artists. The problem is how to remain an artist once he grows up. Picasso had this observation a century ago, and unfortunately, these words ring even truer in today's post-industrial world, a world where our vocations no longer ape the form of pseudo-creation, a la farming and factorying, and thus the gap between creation and consumption widens as we attempt to buy what no one can possibly sell, individual creativity. The strange thing about this antiquated system is that most of its gatekeepers— Government officials, school administrators, and teachers aren't operating out of malice. If anything, their reaction is birthed from apathy or comfort or both. Many teachers, in fact, are just as disenchanted with the whole mess as we are, though they often feel like just another faceless cog in the wheel, powerless amongst the tyranny of bureaucracy. Thankfully, there are alternatives. For children, there's homeschooling and unschooling and wonderful programs like 826 Valencia. And for adults, the options are endless. There are books and blogs and classes and conferences. Plus, there are scores of people like us, the minimalists, people who've rejected the system and aligned their lives with their values and beliefs, people who function not as teachers, but as unteachers, helping people unlearn the bullshit they've acquired over the years so that they too can become unteachers and help further the spread of creativity and ideas. Of course, none of these alternatives are easy per se, but then again, it is way too easy to stand in line, to raise a hand when we want to speak, to blindly follow authority, to capitulate, and above all, To comply. Fuck that. The easy route is easy because it's a vacuum, devoid of meeting. It's vacant. It also lacks innovation and beauty and all the unspeakable qualities that makes life exhilarating and worth living. Naturally, the scenic route takes longer to travel, but the experience is worth it. To traverse the windy coastline takes more time, sure. Sure. But so does anything worth pursuing. Amen. You know, I think it's interesting. We've, in a weird way, become Ryan and, and, and myself. Um, we've become unteachers. Yeah, <clears throat> it's crazy. I mean, you you teach a writing class. <laughs> I,
1: I I I mentor. Um, I have no official uh, degree in psychology or. Uh, therapy or anything like that, you have no degree in
0: in, in teaching. I've never taken a writing class in my life, but I'm really passionate about writing. And and really, I I coerce people into taking a writing class. And then once they're in it, I trick them and say, you know what? It's not actually a writing class. It's a habit-forming class. And there are some tips in here to help you with your writing and how to write better. I mean, that's the name of the course. But but it's not about just learning shortcuts. There are no shortcuts, right. but there are direct routes to doing what, what you want to do. So, Cecilia, is there a decent uh, minimalist approach to education? Well, it depends on what you mean by, by education. I uh, I think sometimes... A formal degree is important. I personally wouldn't go to a dentist who was a DIY dentist. Right, yeah. If if I'm getting brain surgery, I hope that surgeon went to college. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because those systems, those structures are best set up to ensure that those people know what they are doing. However, there are many other times where it is not necessary to seek a a traditional degree. And so maybe we should we should talk about about some of those scenarios when when it may or or may not be responsible or applicable or appropriate for you to to seek the traditional route. Yeah,
1: I mean, <clears throat> first and foremost, if I was to ever go back to college, which I am totally open to that one day. We had a question on our Tuesdays with the Minimalists where someone asked, like, would you ever consider going to college? If I did, it would be, it would be more of uh, pursuing a hobby type thing. Like I'd go for acting or I'd go for uh, physics, something that I was really interested in or that I wanted to learn more about. Um, but I would never do that if I was going to uh, go back into debt. That is one thing that I, I really hope to
0: – I'm uh, 100% debt-free and I hope to stay that way. Well, oh, just to cut you off there. I think I think there's no such thing as good debt, and and that that's one thing to to be really concerned about when we're approaching uh, approaching uh, continuing our education. We often assume that we have to go into these massive amounts of debt, right. and if you have to go the traditional route, if you're going to go to a college, well, there's some things you can consider. You can consider a community college, especially for the first two years of of a traditional bachelor's degree. Uh, you should certainly consider something that's in-state with l- because the in-state rates are, are generally appreciably lower. And you should also consider finding ways to fund your way through college while you're going through it as opposed to taking on student debt that will pro- prohibit you from living the life that you want to live because you're going to be tied to an income that you need just to pay back those student loans.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I would even argue that like you could go to – You could go to school for free right now, um, even without spending the money, even without having to worry about the money. Because what I was going to say is, I am taking classes online right now, um, just kind of randomly at my leisure for free. Uh, They are uh, on like quantum physics, something like really silly, but just something that I want to. Uh, go down the, the rabbit hole a little bit with and I can do that for free and get some really good classes and like right now I could totally have a decent conversation with you about about quantum physics uh, and when I say decent I know you could probably no, a little I bit less I, than decent I, I don't
0: know anything about it it'd yeah. be a very one-sided uh, question but I could also go in and learn about uh, quantum physics or I could go improve my writing online I, there are a lot of different things I, I can do online mm-hmm. in a very non-traditional sense and I mean we have this this in, this infinite amount of information that is at our literally at our fingertips right. now, whether it's in our pocket or on our computer screen or wherever, and instead we spend a lot of time focusing on incessantly checking our emails or or just getting caught in the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle of social media, as opposed to using the technology to enhance our lives, to mm-hmm. improve our lives, to learn and to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and and what we're really talking about here with education is, I want to grow as an individual. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you want to grow? It's so you can contribute to the world uh, around you. Mm-hmm. And the more you grow, the more you have to give. And, and so does that mean you have to go through a traditional education setting? If you want to, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with it. I don't see a reason to do it for for most vocations yeah. these days.
1: Well, I mean, let's yeah, let's go to to Brandy, look talk about her situation specifically. So the one of the first things that stood out to me, she said that she felt like it was draining her soul. Now, oh, yes. Now that to me is a flag, right? And that's why she called in cuz that's a huge flag. Sure. Uh, this feels like it's draining my soul, I got to leave. Now, Here's what I would challenge Brandy to do is to really look at the result, uh, look at her outcome uh, that she is going to get after going to college. She said that she really wants to be a tattoo artist. She loves to paint. She loves to draw. Is she taking classes right now for painting and drawing? Is that helping her painting and drawing career, or is she in there for marketing? If it is for painting and drawing, the question that needs to be asked is, is this painful or is this uncomfortable? And there is a difference, right? Yes, indeed. I mean, if if, if you are in pain, we know when you're working out, uh, you know the difference between like an uncomfortable getting that last rep out and, yes. uh, oh, my goodness, my shoulder hurts, I have to put the weight down.
0: Yeah, the, the discomfort, if we're in a place of discomfort, that is the place from which we grow. Absolutely.
1: So it, the question needs to be asked here with Brandy is do – do you need to push through this discomfort to grow? And if the answer is yes, then I would say you know, maybe consider staying in college. If the answer is no, by the time I graduate college, I'm going to have a, a marketing degree that I'm not going to do anything with, uh, then, yeah, I would consider maybe going an alternative route.
0: Yeah, and, and that alternative route, you know, you, you mentioned a few things that there's this stigma of of leaving college. Well stigma with who? I mean, if you're hanging out with people who are discouraging you from cultivating a passion, because you really enjoy and are excited about the prospect of of some sort of artistic career, and it sounds like being a tattoo artist is, uh, is maybe the terminus of that for you. And I think that's really exciting. If you can cultivate that excitement, turn it into a passion, because it's not something you're yet passionate about. You won't actually be passionate about that, Brandy, until you're willing to put in the many, many, many hours of drudgery so that you get to the other side. You get the actual payoff of becoming... A phenomenal tattoo artist, where you feel just great about what you're doing, and you get excited about being able to do new work. And while you're in it in the moment, sometimes it may seem mundane. Sometimes it may seem overwhelming, and you may f- hit these these plateaus where you feel like you're not growing. But you have to keep you have to keep working through that in order to really cultivate it into a passion that you, you wake up in the morning and you feel good about about doing what you're doing as opposed to the opposite. Instead of the opposite, by the way, it, uh, of pain isn't pleasure. The obverse side of the coin is comfort. Comfort is the other side of pain. And, and you know what? It, it, I can either feel, Comfort or discomfort. Discomfort lets me know that I'm growing. That's one of the reasons we're, we're doing this this podcast now. Is it's another opportunity for us to grow, not necessarily grow our audience or anything like that, but. I would say I'm not very great at, at speaking and having these sorts of sorts of conversations repeatedly, but it's allowing me to build that muscle. It's allowing Ryan to build that muscle, so over time, we get good at it and if you're still tuning in here a hundred episodes from now, i I plan to be appreciably better at having these types of conversations, yeah, absolutely,
1: and you know, going back to that stigma of being a dropout, you know right now, it sounds like Brandy is associating her identity with being a college student. And I know that uh, when I was in the corporate world, um, I associated uh, my identity with my job. Um, I was also going to college, so I guess I was identifying as a college student uh, somewhat as well. But I will say that letting go of my identity, that's, that's one of the hardest parts. So I don't want to just blow over that and be like, well, you know, just don't, don't, care, don't care about the stigma. Letting go of that identity is definitely difficult, but if it is going to get you to the other side if it's going to get you farther down that path closer to building your brand towards uh tattoo artisting uh then then that is
0: that's exactly uh what you should do let's talk about why we we have that identity though i mean what's what's the first question when you meet someone new what's the first thing they ask what you what do Ryan? you do what do you do yeah. what a fucking terrible question we We ask this question, these four words, we don't realize how dangerous they are. I think that's life's most dangerous question. And it's not that someone is malicious when they come up to you and say, Hey, Ryan, what do you do? And and it's like a gotcha question. Gotcha. I have to ask you what you do. And think about that question for a minute, though. What we're really asking isn't what do you do because that's such an expansive question. When, when I say what do you – when someone asks me what do you do, I could say a bunch of things. Well, I, I check email. I drink water. I walk. I exercise. I enjoy going long walks on the beach. These are all things that I do. Yeah. But what we're really saying is, hey, where do you work? What's your job title? How much money do you, do you make so I can compare you to me on the socioeconomic ladder? But if you a- ask the question that way, you seem like a real jerk. And so instead, we just say, what do you do? And then we're supposed to tell the person what our job title is. And, and much like like you, Ryan, I you know, I had a uh, very impressive, I'm saying that with, with vocal quotes here, for those of you listening, I had an impressive job title. So I had an impressive answer to that question for a very long time. Uh, when someone said, what do you do? And I was 27 years old, I would say, I'm the director of operations for 150 retail stores. And... And then I would, you know, just parrot back the question to them, what do you do? And that would allow me to understand, should I associate with this person? Are they the ideal networking companion? Uh, And basically what we're saying is, how can I use this person to, to, you know, further my status or or improve my own life in, in some way? And that's a terrible way to think about other human beings as some sort of object that I can use. And so, that was a problem for me because I had that impressive answer. And I found the way to change that from uh, what do I do? What is my job title? And, And then spending the next 20 minutes talking to someone about, oh, here's my job title. What do you do to earn money? And not really be that interested in the conversation. It's not that I had a bad job that I hated. I didn't necessarily hate it, but I was comfortable in it. And I was working 80 hours a week And I didn't have time to pursue what I actually wanted to pursue. I I certainly wasn't passionate about what I was doing. And so in order to change my identity, I had to change that question. So when someone said, what do you do? I would say, I'm really passionate about writing. And and people would kind of look at me and say, oh, you're a writer? And well, see, I never said I was a writer. I call it turning a, a noun into a verb. I didn't say I'm a writer because if you say you're a writer or if you say you're a tattoo artist or you say you're whatever, what what you're really saying is this is how I make a living. And, and so I say I'm passionate about writing. And people say, oh, okay. And I say, what are you passionate about? Because if I were to say I'm a writer, you get the accusatory questions. People start saying things like, Well, uh, who's your publisher? What's your agent's name? How many books have you published? Have you written anything that I would have read? Well, no, not unless you're reading my my journal. Because there's no reason for me to make a living off of something I'm necessarily passionate about. Uh, I was passionate about writing because it was something I really enjoyed doing, and I, I cultivated that into a passion over time. And now, several books later, I'm, I am I, I am able to make a living off of that, but that's not what I set out to do. I set out to do it because it was something I was really passionate about, and finally I was able to marry that with a way to earn a living so that, that I can I can do both. But I encourage people to flip that question around. If you really want to lose the identity of I'm a college student or I'm a director of operations or I'm a barista or whatever, there's nothing wrong with those job titles. But they're not who you are as a person. Mm. You are so much more. And so flip that question and say, I'm really passionate about X. And then... Say, what are you passionate about? And it will change the trajectory of your conversations if you're willing to make yourself uncomfortable and have that conversation. It's easy to tell people the title on your business card. It's much harder to talk about what you are truly passionate about. Now, some of you say, I don't know what I'm passionate about. Well, we hear this advice all the time. You should follow your passion. You you can walk over to your local university. I bet it's on some sort of successory poster, poster right now. It says follow your passion, and and I think that is terrible advice. In fact, we we have a friend uh, Cal Newport who wrote a whole book about this uh, uh, called "So Good They Can't Ignore You," and and uh, his whole thesis there is follow your passion is shitty advice. A- and we've we've had several conversations with Cal in the past. He's a professor over at Georgetown University. And ultimately, we need to take that advice of follow your passion and throw it away. Because you don't have a passion. You weren't born to be a yoga teacher or an astronaut or a writer or a barista or an accountant. There are dozens of things that you can be passionate about. And Brandy, for you, it sounds like one of those things is being a tattoo artist the key then isn't to follow your passion, it's to find one thing that aligns with your values, that aligns with your interests and your desires, and spend a lot of hard work and time and dedication and blood, sweat, and tears cultivating that interest into a passion. And over the years, that may change over time, but you want to focus on one thing now and really dive all the way into it.
1: Yeah, and we're not just like uh, promoting Cal Newport here for the sake of it, but he just uh, came out with another book called Deep Work, and uh, I'm just going to read a paragraph off his blog here about it. Uh, It says, The book argues that deep work, focusing without distraction on a cognitively demanding task, is becoming more valuable in our economy at the same time that it's becoming more rare. And I could not agree with that more. If if Brandy here is willing to drop out of college and put in that deep work to be a tattoo artist, there is no doubt that she will be successful to a certain level. I mean, I'm not going to say that she's going to be the best tattoo artist in the world or become a millionaire, but I do know that when people put in that deep work and they stay focused, uh, that they they will get some great Results and you know one other thing I want to talk about is uh, Brandy mentioned something about staying in college because it's the safe path to a, a large paying job or a high salary job and that is not the case these days. If 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 uh, you're banking on getting a high paying job at, uh, just because you have a college degree, there there are some cases where that happens, but. Um, There's a stat uh, that that says you know there are 44 percent of graduates that are underemployed, meaning that uh, almost half of the of the uh, grad students are in a job that doesn't require a college degree. I know in Portland they had a you know huge article about this barista job that posted, and and they had you know hundreds of masters and 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 doctorate degrees uh, applying for this for this barista position. So uh, I'm not saying again that college. Is necessarily wrong. Um, there are some great stats
0: that will say that college is is, is amazing. Um, I yeah, mean, I think part of that is the average the average person with the a college education over his or her lifetime does make considerably sure. more money than just a high school graduate. Me, myself, I'm, I'm only a high school graduate. In fact, I tried to drop out of high school, and, and my counselor wouldn't let me. He talked me out of it the uh, last year of school. And, um, and then I ended up going to take some college classes afterward, but never never finished college. And, and, and here's here's the thing. Yes, the average person who graduates from college, will make more money over his or her lifetime than the average person who doesn't. Here's the problem that I have with that statistic, is if you're basing your life off of the average person's life, you're probably not going to be happy because the average person, especially in the United States, especially in the developed world, the average person is not happy. Mm. The average person is not living a meaningful life. I want to be anything but average. Brandy, you also mentioned um, uh, it might be difficult for you to find uh, an apprenticeship, and and there's that stigma of. I can tell you, people said this to me all the time. I, I walked away from the corporate world, and people didn't believe me when I was walking away from the corporate world. Uh, I I I was leaving, and and people asked me like, "What competitor are you going to?" Like, I know you said you're going to be a writer. But come on, man. Where are you going? Can you take me with you? And I said, No, I can't. I don't really have anywhere to take you. I'm just gonna go write. And they're like, Yeah, but if, but if, if everyone could make money as a writer, then everyone would be doing it. And I'm like, Well, yeah, but there are actually plenty of people who earn a living writing. I mean, it's not like there's this. Uh, mythical job of a writer that no one has ever attained, there are thousands of people, uh, tens of thousands of people who who earn a living from whatever way. And so, Brandy, I'm going to send you a copy of our very first book. Uh, it's called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. And and the reason I'm going to send you a copy of it is we have a whole chapter in there about passions and, and careers. And And uh, one of the things that we recommend is you know, if you've identified what you want to cultivate into a passion, and for you that's being a tattoo artist, for someone else it might be uh, an astronaut, for someone else it it might be a a teacher. There are paths to get there, and and really, there's a model you can follow. Someone else's recipe, and, and so is there. Are there people right now who are making a living as a tattoo artist? Well, yes, I, I know a few actually. I don't have any tattoos myself, but I know people. Uh, like like Paul and, and Brittany out in, uh, in Oakland. Yeah. I mean, who make a really phenomenal, I mean, six-figure living from, from doing tattoos. And, and while that's great that he makes good money, that's not the point of it. The point is he's able to support himself doing something he's really passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so you can find people who do something they're passionate about and have cultivated that into a passion. You find out what their recipe is. Well, how do you do that? Well, just like anything else, if you have a baker who has a recipe, you have to you have to sit him or her down and figure out exactly how they make the cake that they make, what ingredients do they use, what sequence, what temperature, and you have to do the same thing with whatever your profession is. And so we have a whole recipe for modeling someone else in our book, uh, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. So, Brandy, I'd love to send you a, a copy of that. And hopefully you can you can identify what recipe works for you, and then you adjust it. To suit your own taste and, and uh, incorporate your own ingredients and develop it into your own passion over a period of time. So you can take several other people's recipes and make your own recipe. And that's what Ryan and I did with, with minimalism. When we started letting go of stuff, we saw all these different template, templates of people who were living a, a minimalist life, but it wasn't how we wanted to live our lives necessarily. And in fact, I have a different template than Ryan, and I think that's why this works so well. People find value in, in both of our different stories, and my recipe may not work for you specifically, but certainly you can tweeze out a few ingredients and create your own recipe, and you can do that same thing with the work world, with the, the yeah. world of job and career and, and passion, and, and while we're on that, um, very few of us get to this thing that we call our mission in life. Our, our mission is the confluence of what we're passionate about and also being able to earn a living from it so that we're able to focus on it more. My initial intention when I left the corporate world was just to work at a coffee shop and make enough money to pay my bills so I could write fiction. And hopefully one day, after cultivating that passion, maybe I'd make some money off of it. But if not, I was always going to do it because I really enjoy writing. And so if you can find a way to take what you're passionate about and not have just a job and certainly not have a career. In fact, for those of you out there who are thinking about setting up your long-term career goals, I think that's so dangerous. Careers are comfortable, and comfort is not a place from which we grow. It's a place from which we atrophy over time. And If you're not growing, you're dying. And so we we have an opportunity here to turn our lives into something that we are passionate about. We're able to live our mission. And I would encourage you to figure out what that is and now, and ultimately cultivate that.
1: Now, I just want to tell the listeners here about one catch to living your mission or I'll say living the dream. You know, I get I get mentoring clients all the time who I will sit with and they're like, "I want to do what you do. I want to I want to uh, be a writer and I want to do exactly what you do." And my first response is usually you probably don't want to do what I do. Uh, <laughs> I I have gone on 100 city tours. I have to uh, leave my 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 lovely lovely girlfriend uh, uh, in very with very short notice sometimes uh, to go uh, do a speaking gig or something like that. Now the result that I get from all of this work is wonderful, and drudging through all this drudgery is is uh, a great experience. And luckily I have a supportive partner who helps me uh to you know to, to get through all of this and we work together. Um but my point is is that living the dream, the catch is is you have to work really, really hard. No matter what. So and, and if you're if Brandy there is willing to put in the work, uh then I would I would encourage her to, to at least uh maybe give college a break.
0: Yeah, I mean and, and here's the thing, Brandy. Ultimately, what Ryan said earlier, I would just expand on this. What is your outcome? If, if, if your outcome is to do something uh, that you are passionate about, do you need college to do that? Some people, the answer is yes. I have a really good friend who's going to med school right now in Tennessee and and she wants to be a doctor who you know, does like Doctors Without Borders and, and works for charities. And not that she, she doesn't want to become a doctor to be to become rich. In fact, she's going to eschew that side of things just so she can help people throughout the world and Man, that is commendable. But she does need to go through all of med school in order to do that. Mm-hmm. And that talk about drudgery. Oh, my goodness. But the payoff for her is is important. So you have to think about what your outcome is, uh, Brandy. And uh, in, in the book I recommended earlier, uh, Essential Essays, we have, we have a whole plan in there for identifying what your outcome is and how, how to get that outcome. One last thing I'm going to recommend to uh, Cecilia because her question was just about uh, getting a decent education, is there is one of my favorite nonfiction writers, um, certainly my favorite blogger of all time, Seth Godin. He wrote a manifesto. It's called Stop Stealing Dreams, and you can get that at StopStealingDreams.com. It's basically a free, I don't know, it's maybe 50, 70-page book. He also has a uh, video and some other uh, uh, materials there at StopStealingDreams.com. That will take you over to his blog. And he talks about how our society has changed and how education isn't broken. It's just out of date. And it's just like, you wouldn't say that the horse and buggy is broken, but you don't see anyone riding down your street in a horse and buggy. and And so... Our education system, much of it at least, not all of it necessarily, but much of it, is antiquated. And we we have seen this firsthand now. Ryan, you have a business degree. Yes. But but it's not that you needed that business degree. In fact, when you were going to get that business degree, I remember like you were you were learning concept the names of concepts of, of things you had implemented in the business world half a decade prior. Yeah, it was wild. It was like, oh, okay,
1: that's why uh, this technique that I use uh, that I use works. Or yeah, this is what this technique is called. It's it was uh, definitely a filler. I did it so I could have that piece of paper, and I have it now, and I haven't used it. Um, I probably won't end up using it. I'm not. Again, we're not saying that no one should go to college. Uh, we're just talking about you know, look at it with your situation. View college as a tool, and if it's a tool, you can use it. You're going to get a, a benefit out of that's great. Um, I, I, I didn't. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't. Um, but seriously, ask yourself those questions. What is your outcome?
0: And and uh, that that should help you make some good decisions. And no matter what, I personally refuse to go back into debt. I spent the first 31 years of my life in debt, and I'll never go back into debt again. And I would encourage you, actually, I would discourage you from going to college if it's going to force you to to acquire a bunch of, or any any real debt. There are ways to go to put yourself through college if that is the route you have to take without, without racking up massive amounts of debt. And Elise, to answer your question, why, uh, Elise on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash The Minimalists, uh, she wrote, why is it so easy to get caught up in the rat race vibe from friends? Uh, because you have surrounded yourself with the wrong friends. And, and I used to also have that same group of friends, very, very type A. Everyone I surrounded myself with in the corporate world was constantly part of that rat race. Here's the problem with the rat race. Even if you win the rat race at the end of the day, you are still a rat. And so the best piece of advice I ever got was from my friend Jamar in Cincinnati. He said, you can't change the people around you but you can change the people around you. And what that really means is you can't try to fix the people in your life, but you can surround yourself with more supportive people who are going to prop you up as opposed to leave you behind in the rat race. You can step off of the the hamster wheel, so to speak, and move on to something that is more meaningful. And the best way to do that is surround yourself with awesome, supportive people. If you don't have any people locally, you can also try our um, free local meetup groups over at minimalist.org. We have set up uh, 100 free local meetup groups in eight cities. I'm sorry, eight countries, 100 cities, eight countries, and uh, find some people locally who are willing to talk to you about career and education and decluttering and everything else. So give them a try. If we don't have a meetup group in your area yet, don't worry. We have an online city with hundreds or or thousands of people, I guess, at this point, who can help support you through whatever journey you are going through. And, of course, we'd we'd love to hear what you all have to say. Uh, Feel free to give us a call at 406-219-7839 if you have tips about education, about pursuing your passion, about pursuing your job, any minimalism tips that you might have, we'll post some of our favorites or list some of our favorite uh, comments and tips on the next episode. And if we do select your voicemail, we'll give you an autographed copy of one of our books. Ultimately, I think, I think Ryan, we should probably talk about like what is the idea of success here, because there's an undertone of, of success. We, we hear, like, he's a successful person, or she is a successful person. And our society now, our culture now, has defined su- success as the amassing of trinkets. Do you have the larger house? Do you have the nicest possible car? Do you have the position on your job title? We have these little trophies along the way. And we fill our houses and our basements and our entertainment rooms with all of these trophies of success. And while there isn't anything inherently wrong with individual material possessions, consumption isn't the problem. Compulsory consumption is the problem. We keep trying to amass more stuff into our void, but it does not close the void. It widens it. And so for us, I think success is, is a bit different from what it used to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, now uh, I, I look at success a couple different ways. Um, we have... We have an equation that uh, uh, we wrote in an essay a while ago, um, happiness plus constant improvement plus contribution equals success. And that is certainly uh, success for me. And I know, Josh, that that is success for you. The reason why these things are successful for me, though, is because those qualities, those things that I focus on, those are what my long-term values and beliefs are. And if my short-term actions are aligning with my long-term values and beliefs, uh, for me, that is success. For me, um, that's, that, that's also uh, – that can be happiness as well. But, yeah, certainly uh, success used to be something much, much different to me. And, and now, uh, you know, it's nice to have a formula that I don't have to look to. For money, I don't have to look to for. I mean, certainly we need some security. We all need to spend money, but but you know there isn't a physical item, there isn't a monetary uh, idea uh, behind success for me anymore. It, it it does not take a ton for me to be successful.
0: In a recent magazine interview uh, with with People Magazine, the reporter asked me uh, who I thought of when I heard the word successful, and and my answer wasn't uh, Steve Jobs or or Bill Gates or. Or Kim Kardashian. Um, I really don't think of of the American dream, the old American dream, as as the definition of success either. Uh, when when I think of success, I, I think of my friend Jamar, who I mentioned a moment ago. He uh, he's an outstanding father. He's a husband. He's a high school teacher. He's a real estate investor and. I don't think it's those things that make him successful. What what makes him successful is he's living what I would call the new American dream. He's happy. He's healthy. He's debt-free. He has full control of his life. And, and I, I feel like he doesn't uh, derive his self-worth from all of these external factors. And so I think all of those things are what make him the most successful person I know. And, and Ryan, the, the equation you gave earlier, that's the only kind of success I know. Mm-hmm. Are you happy? Are you constantly growing? Are you contributing to the world around you? And by the way, those th- three things all lead to each other. If you're contributing to the world, you're going to feel happier. If you make someone else happy, that makes you happy. It also helps you grow. The more you grow, the more you have to give. The more you give, the happier other people are, and that makes you happier. And it's this beautiful, beautiful cycle. And and so if you're really looking to figure out what success is, don't count on a paycheck for that. I know plenty of millionaires who are miserable, so miserable. There's nothing wrong with earning money. Mm-hmm. We're certainly not allergic to money. The, the thing is it is no longer the primary focus of our lives, and it's certainly not my dream. The old American dream is not my dream, and the millionaires I know who are happy, they would be happy without their millions. yeah, there's no doubt about it i agree well let's let's play a few comments from our our last episode or last few episodes. The last episode was about children. We have some advice from some readers and some listeners here. At the minimalist podcast
2: hi my name is alexandra and i'm calling from st paul minnesota uh because i had a few suggestions for staying decluttered with children or being minimalist with children um okay so the first one is whenever my son sees an advertisement i always remind him that it's pretend and so the people are pretending on there which is true because they're paid actors um Also, one thing that my mother did when I was younger, with me and my um, younger brother, so when we were out at a store and would ask for something, my mom would say that she needs to go to work first in order to get money to buy that thing. So did we want to keep spending time with my mom, or did we want her to go to work and buy that thing for us later? And we always chose to spend more time with my mom. So that sort of instilled the value of time over money and time over things for us as young children. But obviously, if you're going to do this as a parent, you have to be able to follow through if it says that they want you to go to work. So what I do if my son would ever to say, tell me to go to work is I would take him to uh, a gym that provides free childcare or something and just, you know, I'd go work out or something, but it's still the separation from him at any moment. Hi, my name is Gavin and I'm actually from Toronto. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there's, there's actually a... Um, a study done in the UK, I think it was around about 2010, and it was just saying that like kids nowadays have, the, the, on average, it was like 238 toys, and they used 12 of them on a weekly basis. 12 toys out of 230, that's like 5% or something, which is incredible amount of waste. My name is Jenny, and I'm from Columbia, Missouri. And I have a suggestion for other grandparents about simplifying Christmas. I did this several years ago uh, in terms of grandchildren. So for each grandchild, we uh, I designate a certain amount of money into thirds. So it could be three $1 bills or three $5 bills, whatever your means. And the instructions are that they can take one-third and buy whatever they want, just blow it. And the second idea is that – or the second portion is that they um, save it, put into savings. And then the third portion, they must donate. Pick a charity or organization to donate because that's the real meaning of the season.
0: Okay, let's move on to our iTunes comment of the week. All right. This one
1: is called Easy Listening By
0: wouldn't it be better if it was like simple listening? (laughs)
1: Simple ain't easy, that's true, that is true. Uh, this is by Ski Girl 2016. Ski Girl writes, I guess I'm not surprised that the minimalists could produce such an easy to listen to podcast. It's like having a conversation with an old friend, they're thoughtful and thought provoking. Who's she
0: calling old?
1: That's you man you know you're you know you 're like eight months older than me that's true <laughs> no it's not you're like three. Uh, they are thoughtful and thought provoking and i 'm so happy. I have them to listen to. That is... I love reading comments like that. I'm so happy that people are getting value out of this because I cannot stand my voice on the radio. I don't feel like I'm doing this very well. But hey, other people think I
0: am. So great. I'm so happy to hear that. You do have such a great radio voice. I feel like you could read movie trailers or something. Do I? In a a world. (laughs) No,
1: (laughs) seriously, guys. We really appreciate those comments. Um, That is... That is awesome, uh, and we are so happy that that so many of you are finding value in this. So keep those comments coming. Keep them going.
0: Who, who was that uh, that left that comment? So that was uh, Ski Girl 2016. Ski Girl 2016. Well, thank you. Uh, we will send you a copy of our book. Uh, My favorite book, Everything That Remains, my favorite book that we've written, not my favorite book of all time, by the way. (laughs) Um, Just do us a favor. Once you have have read that book, pass it on to someone else, minimize the book, give it to someone else who can find some value in it. And thank you to everyone else who who has left us a a comment or a review on iTunes. Uh, Your positive, honest reviews help our simple living message reach way more ears. So we really appreciate it. We can... Do some lightning round hashtag Ask the Minimalist. Let's do it. Go. We, we're <laughs> we at The Minimalist on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com slash The Minimalist if you want to do a lightning round question for Ask the Minimalist. Uh, Scott asks, do you ever read books that spark interest, but turns out that you found only sections of the book to be useful? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think that's the nice thing about books these days is they can necessarily be shorter. I think of my uh, friend Julian who wrote a, an awesome book called The Flinch. Uh, I would definitely encourage you to check it out. In fact, we did an interview with him, theminimalists.com slash Flinch. It's a free book, too, by the way. I think it was free. I don't oh, know is it? There's free a cost anymore. now. Oh. Yeah, I think it's a couple bucks. I oh, okay. Mean, it's, it's, relatively it's totally worth it,
1: even if it is just a couple bucks.
0: All right, we have one more question. We'll, we'll do this one from revu What is your opinion of women? <laughs> one person... <laughs> I love them. Next question. Yes. No, <laughs> it, uh, he says, one person is less than two... And the less we have, the happier we are. Thoughts on solitude. I think solitude is very important, especially yeah. as an introvert. And, and uh, But you can't treat other people as, as things. I mean, that's kind of our tagline. What are my thoughts on, on women? Um, it's like asking what my thoughts are on white people or what are my thoughts on senior citizens. Uh, we're all different. I, I, I personally want to surround myself with people who add value to my life but I'm also able to contribute too. I think with any relationship there is what I call an us box and we're happy only when we're able to contribute as much as we can contribute and we're able to get from that that relationship something that nurtures our lives as well. And just because I'm able to contribute more to some relationships and less to others, it doesn't mean that it has to be 50-50. And so I want you to think about that when Revu, when, when you're considering surrounding yourself with people, yeah, solitude is great, and I think it's necessary, especially for introverts. In fact, I spend about 90% of my time alone, and you can read about that. Uh, I've written quite a bit about it, but the essay to go to there is theminimalists.com slash alone, and you can read about sort of my Myers-Briggs and why solitude is so important to me, but when I do surround myself with people... I make sure that I'm able to contribute to them. And in fact, that's the best part of spending time, so much time alone, is when I am there, I am really there. And I go way out of my way to show the people I love that I care about them, that I understand them, and I'll do what I can to support them. Okay, now let's move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where uh, Ryan and I recommend something that has added value to our lives recently, and because we're talking about education today and, and learning um, and careers and, and stuff like that, I'd love to talk to you about a book that I found a lot of value in. Uh, it's by Daniel Pink. A lot of you have probably heard about this book. It's called Drive, and he talks about the the three things that drive us to do meaningful work and. And he has an amazing TED Talk on uh, this topic as well. So the full title of the book with the subtitle is Drive the Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. Definitely check it out if you get a chance. I think you'll be surprised.
1: Yes, and because we are uh, on the topic of education this podcast, I would like to recommend webcast.berkeley.edu. That is actually, uh, when I was talking about earlier, those quantum physics classes that I um, just kind of take it my own leisure. I think I've gotten through like maybe uh, like six or seven of them. Um, uh, they're they're there. It's a very intuitive site to use. Uh, and there are just uh, uh, hundreds of classes to take online for free. So check that out if you are looking to self-educate yourself a little bit.
0: Finally, let's move on to our, our last segment. Uh, we call it Right Here, Right Now. This is kind of what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Uh, right when this is airing, when this podcast airs, we are, we'll are be in the middle of three days, three caffeinated days with The Minimalists in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you want to come hang out with us, we're going to live our dream jobs as baristas in St. Petersburg, Florida for three days. We're doing a, a special charity event at a brand new coffee shop that's opening, an awesome coffee shop called uh, Bandit Coffee. So you can find all the details about that at theminimalists.com slash Bandit. We're also uh, coming to the end of our Tuesdays with The Minimalists on Periscope, so you can check that out at periscope.tv slash The Minimalists. And in just a couple weeks, I have a special How to Write Better uh, one-time class. So I teach a a semester-long online How to Write Better class, and it's very in-depth, requires a lot of attention and focus from students if they really want to get a lot of value from it. But this is the first time I've tried doing a a one-time, two-hour class where I I give a lesson uh, alongside my adjunct professor, Sean Mahalik, who helps out with a lot of the How to Write Better stuff. And we're going to answer your questions about how to improve your writing. Uh, The seats on that will be limited, but you can find all the details over at org. Also, in the coming weeks, you're going to find out how we can—how you can, rather— bring our documentary, uh, it's called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things to your city or suburb. Ryan and I are going to hit like 13, 14 cities in May, but then that's the nice thing about having this documentary, which we're so proud of. You can go to minimalismfilm.com for details. We're going to make a big announcement in February about how you can get Minimalism to play in your local theater Really, really in a really easy way. And I think, uh, I think that's all we have. I, I hope you really found value in, in this episode. And if I could give one piece of advice to Brandy before we leave. And this uh, Brandy just sort of serves as a key for everyone else out there. So if you are in a situation like Brandy where you need to make a, a decision and you need some permission, I'm going to say this. Brandy. Just fucking do it. You're going to be so much happier on the other side. It's certainly not going to be easy. But a simple life is not meant to be easy. It's meant to be meaningful. And so to everyone else, if you leave here with with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. That's it for today's episode. Ryan, you want to read all the important bits? Of course. Of course. The
1: Minimalists podcast is produced by Sean Harding and is recorded at the offices of Asymmetrical Press. Our theme music was written and performed by Peter Dorn. For more of Peter's music, visit theminimalists.com slash Peter. The podcast is 100% advertisement free. So if you found value in this episode and you'd like to help us keep it that way, Because advertisements suck. You guys know that. Please visit theminimalists.com slash donate. Even if you just donate a dollar, we really, really appreciate it, guys. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call at 406-219-7839. If you'd like to read more from The Minimalists, you can subscribe to our essays for free via email at our website, theminimalists.com. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time.